The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, strange opinions, a goose, angry words, and rather too much conversation about the United Kingdom. Saturday, the 10th of September, 2022. In this episode, I... I can't help it, really. The news starts and finishes in the UK. Uh, There's some Australian stuff, too. I guess I'll just start. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm delusion of His Anserine Highness, Princess Timothy of Kew, and other observations. The world is, of course, saddened this week by the departure of one of its greatest and most loved figures. After a lifetime of selfless service to their country, they always put the needs of the people above their own, always humble, their personal integrity was matchless. I am, of course, referring to Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Uh, Jonathan Pye has more in this heartfelt tribute, a montage of his praise of Boris Johnson over recent years. Boris Johnson is the most dangerously incompetent and untrustworthy serial shagger who won't tell the press how many kids he's got because he's not entirely sure himself. Boris went to Eton, a sort of Hogwarts for wankers. Alexander Boris de Feffel Johnson, that's his actual fucking name. A man who would rather pretend to be stupid than admit his mistakes, which of course makes him a coward. He was fired for lying about shagging someone behind his wife's back. Narcissist only out for himself. An egotistical charlatan. Posh, upper-class, bumbling idiot. I don't understand what the word party means. My willy just ended up inside my secretary. Jimmy Savile's fat, evil twin. Chris Tarrant on a come down. A man who took an 80-seat majority and just spaffed it up the wall. You fucked it, mate. He's resigned, but he hasn't fucked off. Hubris, incompetence, deceit, and shit hair. Reshuffling cat shit on a litter tray. A desperate, sad, talentless flag shagger. His arrogance and entitlement, they know no bound. Useless, posh, sliver of bollock skin. I'd be happy with just his balls. The most hated man in his party and his country. Chris Johnson would be the result if Greg's the baker ever branched out into eugenics. Dismal, disloyal, disorganised. Fuck up after fuck up. Lie after lie. Cannibals. Self-serving parasites. Tapeworms in tiaras. Vicious right populists with the appearance of an uncooked oven chip in a suit of a wounded balloon, a pickled intestine, a sack of vicious custard. Boris Johnson, an abducted milky bar kid found 40 years later in a port cellar. A Shakespearean tragedy written by monkeys on typewriters. He's still fucking there. Why don't you just fuck off, you entitled sack of minge? What a legacy. Chaos, blah, blah, blah. Something Latin. Leveling up. Cockwomble. Selfish. Millionaire. Flag shagger. Disloyal. Populist. Fucking div. The day I start taking lessons in morality from the likes of Boris Johnson is the day I start taking the fucking smack. Boris Johnson is a liar. Just keep, keep it simple. The new Prime Minister is, of course, Liz Truss. And she knows how much Boris Johnson achieved. Let me pay tribute to my predecessor. Boris Johnson delivered Brexit, the COVID vaccine, and stood up to Russian aggression. History will see him as a hugely consequential prime minister. 
so yes, pretty much uh, exact agreement there between Jonathan Pye and Liz Truss. Or, or not. So, Brexit, COVID, standing up to Russian aggression. Well, Brexit was a complete shit show in Britain. The COVID vaccine, I'm pretty sure scientists created that, not Boris Johnson. And meanwhile, Britain had, uh, up to uh, today's figures, 206,000 deaths from COVID. That's more than five times the number of British civilians who died in the Blitz. You know, the German air raids of uh, 1940, uh, rather, in 1941, and which we all... Look back, or oh, the Brits, I'm not a Brit, why did I say we? They look back at as, yeah, we stood up to that. Boris Johnson managed to get five times as many of them killed and apparently that's a success. And of course he completely tanked the economy in doing so. And Boris standing up to Russian aggression? How exactly? Vladimir Putin isn't worried about Britain for fuck's sake. Incidentally, I I was going to talk a bit about this too, uh, but I'll just point to it instead. In The Guardian, there's uh, a lovely piece explaining how Boris Johnson's scruffy clothes and dishevelled appearances are, are deliberate. They are symbols of patriarchal power. He's too important to worry about what he looks like. But back to Ms Truss. As Prime Minister... I will pursue three early priorities. Firstly, I will get Britain working again. I have a bold plan to grow the economy through tax cuts and reform. I will cut taxes to reward hard work and boost business-led growth and investment. I will drive reform in my mission to get the United Kingdom working, building and growing. We'll get spades in the ground to make sure people are not facing unaffordable energy bills. And we will also make sure that we are building hospitals, schools, roads and broadband. Secondly, I will deal hands-on with the energy crisis caused by Putin's war. I will take action this week to deal with energy bills and to secure our future energy supply. Thirdly, I will make sure that people can get doctor's appointments and the NHS services they need. We will put our health service on a firm footing. The firm footing that 12 years of uh, Conservative Party government uh, broke in the first place. She's good. She's good. And then tax cuts. Tax cuts, which mean the government will have less money to do things with. Like, you know... Fix the National Health Service. And, and, and I'm really interested in this image, her hands-on approach to the energy crisis. Um, spade ready was that other phrase we heard earlier. I mean, is she personally, Liz Truss, will personally be digging more coal? Well, although shut down all the coal hasn't. Um, um, drilling for gas somehow in the North Sea. Hands-on. With the energy crisis, oh dear, dear, dear Liz. But look, let's look at the positive side to all this. As strong as the storm may be, I know that the British people are stronger. Our country was built by people who get things done. 
we have huge reserves of talent, of energy and determination. I am confident that together we can ride out the storm, we can rebuild our economy and we can become the modern, brilliant Britain that I know we can be. A modern, brilliant Britain, which it can be, but currently isn't. So it's therefore an old-fashioned Britain that isn't so much brilliant as just a bit thick. And somehow the Conservative Party will now do this after having been in government for, as I say, 12 years. Uh, I mean, no, no hurry, kids. Any time you're ready to have a modern Britain, I'll be there backing you up. On Twitter, Nick Heath, whose Twitter handle is Nick Heath Sports. He's a rugby commentator and, and quiz show host. Uh, he points out that Therese Coffey, the new Deputy Prime Minister and Health Secretary, voted against same-sex marriage and continues to say that she opposes equality for gay couples. And the Chancellor, uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is the uh, fancy British way of saying the, the Treasurer, Quasi uh, Kwarteng, also voted against gay couples getting married. The Tories, folks, he says, hand clap. So, yes, all delightfully modern there. Liz Truss is going to solve things with employment, energy and the National Health Service, all made possible by tax cuts. The the thing about Liz Truss, I mean, she really is Margaret Thatcher light. She's kind of Margaret Thatcher but without the sex appeal. I will return to the topic of Britain shortly because, well, because you know why. I can't not talk about it, really. But that'll come up later. A brief look at uh, politics in Australia. I mean, a lot has happened in the last week. We've had the climate change legislation uh, going through, we've had more about Scott Morrison. I, I won't talk about him today. Uh, I have noted, of course, that Job Seeker and uh, what's the thing called? Workforce Australia is that organisation that organises Job Seeker and people's mutual obligation requirements. It continues to ask people to do ludicrous things. On uh, Twitter, Charlie's Theroff uh, noted that they just did another poxy course from one of the job providers, uh, which they had to go to. It consisted of them contemplating the storyline of the Lion King and how we can apply it to ourselves. I I mean, I'm not totally against the idea. Uh, Perhaps we could, you know, contemplate the storyline from train spotting and how that applies to ourselves, perhaps some of the Games of Thrones uh, episodes. Uh, Batman, that would be good. Some of the original 1960s Batman and work out how, how they apply to finding a job in Australia in the year of our Lord 2022. And over at The Guardian, uh, apparently Emma Rayward says... Uh, they made the they being job agency Assyria 
uh, got her to do a survey. They they had personality tests they made her do, which assessed such things as her zest and spirituality. Now, zest, you will recall, is something you get from the, the skin of citrus fruits. And if Emma Raywood has like a lot of that, then I, I think she needs to seek medical attention. But also spirituality. This is... This is something that no employer can ever talk to you about because it's not their business. So, you know, job seeker, good. Yep, thank you. Thank you, uh, Prime Minister Albanese. We still don't have, you know, even people uh, living on the poverty rate. That's I babble words. I'll start that paragraph again. JobKeeper. It is not even half the poverty line. And yet the average time people are on it is five years. So, yeah, you've heard me gripe about that before. You have also heard me gripe about Labor's plan to ease the housing crisis. Uh, Well, there was an exclusive in The Guardian. I, I do read things other than The Guardian. It's a bit embarrassing that I've got so much Guardian stuff there at the front of the pod. Oh, well, uh, last month uh, they had a story which said... Research estimates Australia has a shortfall of 524,000 social housing dwellings this year, set to increase uh, to 700 and, no 671,000 by 2032. Anyway, well over half a million houses short. Uh, and Labor's figure, uh, yeah, will create just 3% of those needed. Yeah, I said this months ago, people. I said this in May. Um I'm glad you managed to get around to doing the arithmetic, but we've noticed that Labor's plan is not a plan. It won't make any fucking difference at all because as anyone who does accounting knows, uh, 3% is kind of within your, you know, back of the sofa, rounding area, whatever, close enough thing. Well, not, not quite, but you know what I mean. Not good, not good. I do want to mention... Angus Taylor, former Resources Minister under the Coalition Government and other things, uh, a man who still surprises me uh, by not being in jail. Uh, he's Shadow Treasurer now. Um, yeah, that, that, I mean, there's a whole gag there on that. Anyway, he had a wonderful performance on Sky News Australia uh, last week where he, he, he kicked in. Uh, or kicked off, rather, about Labor's plans uh, for getting uh, uh, pensioners and veterans, uh, getting some of them back into the workforce uh, to help relieve the uh, employee shortage. And he thought, oh, not including veterans in that, that. they've excluded veterans altogether. And he harangued uh, presenter Laura Jays on this point. They've excluded veterans. There's a real opportunity to do that with with aged pensioners and veterans. They've excluded the veterans altogether. They've only gone part of the way uh, with the aged pensioners. Well, why exclude exclude veterans? I mean, that's extraordinary. This is an amazing workforce, these people who who have these extraordinary skills, and yet they're being penalised by losing 50 cents in the dollar of their pension if they do extra work. Well, why would we exclude veterans from this? It's extraordinary. And, and why, uh, why chisel and dime uh, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, nickel and dime, sorry, the, uh, 
the, the aged pensioners. Um, yeah. And so offering them far less than we have proposed. So you know, this is, is straightforward economics. Um, Jim Chalmers is, is, is showing uh, no proactivity on it. We haven't seen any kind of uh, response uh, and we need to see it. Veterans are included. Uh, yeah, but how much? Have they included the entire amount? Um, so it's, it's very important that we see that well, the full policy the implemented. Uh, we, we need to see the full policy implemented, Laura. Thank you, Angus Taylor, Shadow Treasurer. Love your work. Just know your facts, mate. Angus Taylor is, of course, not one of the brightest crayons in the box. Neither is Senator Ralph Babbitt, who is the sole United Australia Party senator uh, in Parliament at the moment. Except he's not. He's an independent now. News this week. This is uh, this is hilarious. Um, apparently, Clive Palmer, who funds. United Australia Party and spent $100 million on the election campaign and such things. Hey, he's just deregistered the party. Uh, so Ralph Babbitt, Senator Ralph Babbitt, is now an independent senator, not a member of the United Australia Party because there is no United Australia Party. Uh, when uh, the City Morning Herald and The Age uh, contacted him this week, he didn't know about it. Where are you seeing that, he said. He, he did not know that his own political party had been deregistered, even though he's the only senator. No one bothered to tell him. So that's, um, that's some fun. Also fun is uh, this little highlight into the quality of uh, the drug supply in Canberra, and I'm talking about the, the naughty, naughty drugs. Uh, the Australian Capital Territory has uh, Australia's first government-backed pill-testing clinic, uh, they examined 58 samples in August that people had brought in. And, uh, yeah, yeah, the quality's down. 40% uh, of, quote, cocaine, unquote, has no cocaine in it. Uh, all, all of the uh, cocaine tested had purity levels below 27%. As I say, 40% percent of them had no cocaine at all. Uh, one sample without any cocaine had a cutting agent dimethyl sulfone in it. Another one was entirely sugar. And others were cut with fillers such as talcum powder. Uh, all of the heroin samples did contain heroin, though. Purity levels from 31% to 63%. Uh, over 65% of the MDMA samples, that is supposedly ecstasy, they did actually contain that 65% of the time. Um, yeah, about a third, more than the third of the users, once those drugs are tested, chucked them out. Well, I, I mean, sugar, little baggy of sugar. Yeah. Uh, the majority of ketamine was ketamine, though, which perhaps tells you something about Canberra. Uh, yeah, one of the meth samples was found to be sugar. That's, a, that's an old trick, someone told me. That, that you, you, the, the, they sell they. Um, people who you know, are a bit more desperate for it and don't have a regular supply, uh, can fall victim to, to people who, yeah, yeah, I've got some, not a problem, you know, and then exchange, you know, any old bullshit. So there you go. The wonderful world of drugs in Canberra, not up to quality. I expect everyone to do better.
in the near future. Total change of subject now. Um, some science, some astronomy, space. The James Webb Space Telescope, which we talked about with uh, Ravi Amandale the other week. Uh, well, uh, NASA released uh, some audio files on their SoundCloud this week. So here, here's the thing. Um, they've been taking the images from the telescope and processing them you know, in a way that that creates sounds from it. And I'm going to play a couple of them now. I, I find these fascinating. Uh, this one is uh, from a near-infrared image of the cosmic cliffs in the Carina Nebula. And the idea is you assign notes to various reasons, uh, and this one scans the image left to right. Uh, they translate some of the gas and dust in the top part of the image into drone sounds. Uh, and then others, you know, little, where the little stars are, they become little plinky. Anyway, ha have, a, have a listen to this first one. I've linked to uh, an article from one of the astronomy websites explaining how all that's done, and I've linked to the SoundCloud. There's, I think, about a, a 10 or 12 of the files altogether. Now, obviously, the way you assign different sounds to different things in the images is totally arbitrary, but it does have a point. It does allow people um, who are not sighted uh, to... to listen to the data in some way instead of looking at pictures of it. And for for certain kinds of things, if you listen to it, you might actually hear patterns that you wouldn't see by looking at it. Um, I don't know how much research has been done on that, uh, but certainly I know in other contexts by mapping, you know, something from sound on division, you might see patterns that you couldn't hear and vice versa. So it, it makes sense. Kind of, it, it's lovely music. You could turn that into <laughs> a relaxation tape. Fun fact, I actually voiced a relaxation tape back in the, imagine that. I think I've told you that before. I'll play another of these. Uh, this is uh, from the Space Telescope. This is Exoplanet Wasp-96b. Wasp 96B. Oh, I, I don't even know what that... It's a hot gas giant, apparently, which, can say, uh, which contains clear signatures of water and, and it's those bits which represent water they've made into uh, appropriate sounds. Oh.
Time for some housekeeping. The next episode of this podcast will be the first special guest episode in the spring series. I'm counting this one as the spring series, but the special guest episodes are the ones that kind of link back to the possible crowdfunding campaigns and all of that. Very special guest indeed, Scientia Professor Toby Walsh, who's heading up the new Artificial Intelligence Institute at the University of New South Wales. They're only formally launching it this coming Tuesday. I'm going to go down there because there's some uh, some interesting things for me to listen to and see. Uh, and then I'll be recording with uh, Professor Walsh that day. Now, Toby Walsh, he's all about the artificial intelligence, obviously. Uh, he's written three books for the popular press on it. Uh First one was from a few years ago. It's It's Alive, Artificial Intelligence from the Logic Piano to Killer Robots. Uh, that looks at the uh, history and, and present state of AI. There's another one called 2062, The World That AI Made, uh, which is obviously a bit of a predicting thing. And his latest is called Machines Behaving Badly, The Morality of AI. Uh, yeah, about the ethics of it all, and uh, Toby Walsh is very much into the ethics of AI. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him recently. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation uh, about all manner of things uh, while in a bus from the Blue Mountains down to the down to Sydney. Anyway, we're recording in a couple of days. If you're a podcast supporter with trigger words or a conversation topic for this episode in particular, please let me know by. 8pm Monday night, that's 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, Monday the 12th of September. That will ensure that I get them into this episode. If we don't, well, I'll, I'll draw some random ones from the glass jar of transparency, obviously, which is what we do. You know that. Well, you may not know that if this is your first podcast. Welcome. Uh, but But we do. Uh, and how you get yourself trigger words or a conversation topic is, well, you buy them. Some people get them through the possible crowdfunding campaign. You can get them just by subscribing to the podcast uh, at uh, with money, that is, uh, although it's free to listen, at uh, skank.com.au slash subscribe. That's skank.com.au slash subscribe. Uh, or, or you can just go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip anytime you like and send money my way. People who have done that include David Bruce. Thank you very much, David. Your annual Edict 04 triple shot subscription came up for renewal the other day, and that was an, oh, so good to get those annual subscriptions coming in. You can, you can do them month by month if you prefer. So he's got, I think, three trigger words and a conversation topic to use in the next year. So thank you very much to David Bruce. And uh, Carletta Abionac, Abionac, rather, um, a regular contributor, has uh, contributed yet more. So thanks, Carletta. That's, uh, that's lovely. I appreciate that heaps. And it is, of course, thank you to all the people who pledged their support to the 9pm Spring Series 2022 crowdfunding campaign. I'll start listing you all next episode. Uh, you're all, all your names are there on the website. Uh, go to the 9pmedia.com slash tip if you want to join those people uh, and, and help this happen. Thank you. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. <coughs>
Elephant Stamp time. In many episodes of this podcast, not all of them, but many of them, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And uh, one, two, I've got three to award today uh, to some excellent thinking indeed. And the first one uh, goes to, and I quote, everyone and everything connected with the metaverse. Uh, This was brought to my attention by Jules Glegg, a games developer, who says, quote, Every metaverse pitch I get on LinkedIn boils down to, quote, we are building a new world where anything is possible and the only limit is your imagination. For example, in this new world, you can buy and wear various clothes. Yeah, (laughs) they seem to know what to do. They go on to say, yeah, it's like Second Life, but instead of locations being called things like Count Pumpula's Psychedelic Vampire Inflation Factory, it just has one infinitely large target store. That's that's our future. That's the excellence in thinking uh, that will make the metaverse a a must-go-to destination. Elephant stamp to everyone connected with the metaverse. Good on you. Uh, number two goes to someone with the Twitter handled Tyler Pixel, and of course they are TylerPixel.eth because they're a trader in Ethereum and and cryptocurrencies and things. Uh, they were replying to someone called Brandon Duck. Uh, who said, I thought we were done with NFTs, that is non-fungible tokens, when everyone realised they are a scam, which, I mean, which they are. Uh, Do I have to explain non-fungible tokens? Is everyone up to speed on that for the moment? I'll assume for the moment you are. Just look up NFTs, you'll be horrified. Anyway, TylerPixel.eth replied, if NFTs are a scam passports are a scam also why do you need a little book with a picture when i am standing right in front of customs okay um think about it why do you need a book with no anyway people who who make their Twitter handle into their cryptocurrency address. Guys, cryptocurrency is not a personality. Seriously, anyone who builds their online identity and their name and their handle totally about one narrow aspect of their personality, there's something fucking wrong with you. Like, I get that you may have a professional account and because that's connected with your work you only want to tweet about things related to your work that's fine but then don't 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 limit limit yourself i I find people who who do that actually a bit tedious let's see a bit more of you (sighs) fucking tyler pixel anyway elephant stamp for you and the last one as you may know, I, I love following the Twitter account Fesshole, where people confess things anonymously. Uh, this elephant stamp, I suppose, goes to human nature in general. Uh, whoever this is uh, posting on Fesshole said, Meta Goth Girl 
in the back of a heavy metal magazine's Meet Me section one summer. So heavy metal magazine about heavy metal music and, and no, it's not actually. It's isn't it a cartoon comic book? Anyway, suppose I should have looked that up. But they met a goth girl in the back of that. One thing led to another, and we ended up having sex in a graveyard, as you do. Later discovered we had sex on her dad's grave. Never been more disturbed by anything as much as this since. So, I mean, it's a nice story. Young love, sex on your father's grave. Look, I'm not a psychologist nor a psychiatrist, but (sighs) elephant stamp of approval to human nature. Thank you. It's kind of a strange episode, this one, isn't it? Um, It's just me, obviously, a solo episode special guest coming up soon, uh, as in in the next episode. Uh, But I've just been rambling about things I've noticed during the week. (laughs) That's what so many podcasts are. And it's just a bit weird. Uh, I mean, I lost a a bit of a day. I had an extremely long lunch on Thursday. I got home after midnight. Um, Random people in the pub bought me and my guest like a bottle of wine. So we, we'd already been drinking wine and then we drank more wine and then people just gave us even more wine. And six bottles between the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> and none of this pissy wine, it's good, strong Australian wine. Why do we do this? Anyway, so that was Thursday night and Friday. It was a bit of waste and I, I, I woke up and, and, of course, there was more news, so much news this week. And I haven't had a chance to process it. Um, so here, uh, here's one of the things. Thursday morning, okay. Um, I'm not uh, going to do – yeah, I'll do this segment. I've written it. It's here. It was one of the more controversial things I said this week. So Thursday in Australia was – are you okay day, spelt R space U space okay, question mark. Are you okay day? It's an Australian thing. For those of you outside Australia, well, here's, here's one of this year's TV commercials. Nowadays, we're all experts. Experts in politics, history, crypto, the metaverse, space, music, fashion, footy. We're even experts in recommending experts. So why is it that four in 10 Australians think asking someone, are you okay, is a conversation for an expert, not for them? The truth is, we're not qualified to talk about most of the things going on in the world right now. But we're more than qualified to ask a friend, workmate, partner, sibling, or parent, are you okay? Make every day, are you okay day. No qualifications needed. So as I said on Twitter, 
that morning. I swear, if any of you cunts ask, are you okay today? I promise I will tell you in vast, excruciating detail exactly why I am not okay and why you are not fucking well helping anyone with such a daft question. You can shove your patronising, self-affirming tokenism right up your ass. And if anyone asks you, are you okay, you are free to answer, of course fucking not. Have you seen the state of the world? By the way, is your marriage still as fucked up as ever? Let's talk about that right now, you cunt. Or your relationship or your work performance or your bond with your kids or whatever you know will piss that person off by raising a personal matter out of context. Now, look, of course... You should be aware of your peep's state of mind and be open to listening. But for fuck's sake, don't force on them the need to respond to your question right now. Fuck off and punch a kitten or something if you have a need to feel good about yourself. And if someone in the workplace asks you, report them to HR for grabbing your tits or your genitals or something. That'll shut them up. Uh, This has been a public service announcement from Stilgary and winning friends and influencing people since 1902. Uh, All right, controversial, and I did receive some responses. Uh, I was called ultimately irresponsible and wrong in the head. Out of your tree, I think I was called by one of the people. There are only a couple of people who, who disagreed, though. Most of the responses were people who agreed that the idea of having this day, and on that day you just ask people how they are, like, no, it should be a thing around, and perhaps the uh, perhaps the, the advert is right there. It should be a, a thing you're aware of every day, but you don't make it this annual ritual, the official caring about people day. Uh, one person replied to me, you know, are you okay today? And their their suggested response was actually no. I'm experiencing an ex- exact exacerbation of a diagnosed mental illness, which you don't already know about because our workplace isn't a safe place to disclose such stigmatized things. So I'm hardly going to tell you about it now, am I? Tony the Fat Hippie said, Yeah, chat about your mental health at work on a special Spill Your Guts Day. Everyone, including your employer, will be supportive. It will never be used against you. Pinky swear, never. Narrator, it will be used against you. And Eve Jones suggested that asking people who are obviously not okay every day of the year just are you okay on the designated day of the year brownie points are issued for acknowledging mental health is ignorant and shallow. It doesn't come from a place of understanding and compassion. Now, for the record, Are You Okay is an Australian non-profit suicide prevention organisation. It has worked with various professional services to, to develop messages past the are, are you okay but the vast majority of people who end up being part of this really don't know what to do are you okay you say no and and what happens next oh oh maybe you you should get help for that well yeah mate fuck off these are personal matters now It was founded by an advertising bloke, Gavin Larkin, in 2009. He had lost his father to suicide and wanted to do something about it. 
um, trying to deal with his own depression. Uh, he ended up going to a course at uh, Landmark, um, which is definitely not a cult. And if you refer to them as a cult, they will remind you that they are not a, a cult by by threatening you and suing you. So I wish to say that Landmark Foundation is not a cult. Um, and this is what he came up with, an are you okay thing. Oh, great little advertising slogan. And, of course, we have those jolly little music beds on the ads. Um, but uh, I, I get stuck at this point because I get quite angry at, at the tokenistic part of it. And you, you see this happening in the workplace where they celebrate Are You OK Day and government departments and companies tweet about how they support mental health and all of that. But the reality is most of the time it just means they'll run a little packaged Are You OK promotion inside their organisation and, and make it about the individual instead of about the systemic problems within their organisation that are driving all their fucking employees up the wall and to the point of having... Uh, there are further criticisms of it on Wikipedia. Uh, I'll read their bit. Are You OK Day has been subject to criticism that while it is well-meaning, it has a superficial and simplistic focus of informal health promotion through encouraging professional referrals, right? Oh, yeah, maybe go on. So the referrals are also suggested without acknowledgement of service wait times, service costs, and the complexity of managing mental health. It's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of presented, as, oh, well, if you're having problems, you should see someone. So, yeah, how, when, how am I going to afford it? Uh, it's been reviewed as being tokenistic, which I've said. Uh, this is despite the organisation's recommended guidelines of suggesting ongoing support to others, which is true. But, you know, it's rem remember when twibbons were a thing on Twitter, like a little coloured ribbon for whatever it was you were supporting that day? And a quote, Wikipedia again, there are possible harmful impacts from people starting conversations for which they are ill-equipped or uninformed with triggering language. That's the proper meaning of the word triggering, not, not the anti-woke brigade. Uh, and, and people say, yes, we need increased insight, diagnosis, treatment and monitoring to acknowledge mental health, slow onset and cyclical nature rather than an annual day. And having listened to that ad again, you don't need to be an expert. No, just just ask and then here's some tips and, oh, God, no, just spend more time talking with your friends. Do it, do it all the time. Yeah, people, those, those, there was only two people had a go at me about, oh, well, it's intended for this. And I, yeah, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and, and stupid tokenistic slogans. Yeah. You can buy RUAK T-shirts and stationery posters. Fuck's sake. The BBC is interrupting its normal programmes to bring you an important announcement. This is BBC News from London. 
Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. In a statement, the palace said the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. BBC Television is broadcasting this special programme reporting the death of Her Majesty the Queen. Okay, I think we're all being flooded with vast quantities of programming relating to uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth II and the ascension to the throne of King Charles III. And I won't get into a whole conversation about uh, about the role of the monarchy or about the personalities or whatever. You, you, you're going to get so much of that over the next few days. I just want to make a few little observations and then highlight the bizarre nature of this all by with a couple of stories. I mean, first thing, one of the, the things I stumbled across was a joint statement uh, on the Australian Parliament House website by the uh, presiding officers, that is the, um, the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate, and they noted in that, uh, and I quote, Her Majesty has travelled much of Australia's journey with us. She was monarch and Australia's head of state for 70 of the nation's 120 years of federation. That is, Australia as the Commonwealth of Australia, the modern nation, more than half of the time, well over half the time, she was head of state. You know, reigning for 70 years is pretty impressive. Uh, I mean, there's been jokes around and there's been people having a sook about the fact there are jokes around, for fuck's sake. There are jokes about everything. Um, some of them are quite good. Uh, there have been some quite deranged responses too. Uh, maybe I'll collect a few of them for next time, or another time at least anyway. One of the weirdest I found was the Daily Mail ran a story, Astonishing Moment, a cloud resembling Queen Elizabeth floats over English town just hours after she died. Uh, according to a woman whose name I did not write down, or, or a town whose name I did not write down, uh, yeah. uh, that apparently this cloud formation Looks like Queen Elizabeth wearing her her hat, weirdly hat singular. She has many hats, or had many hats. Uh, it also told us that rainbows appeared above Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle as the death was announced. Uh, those hearing the news said they called it a sign. It's it's a rainbow, uh, but apparently above the Victoria Memorial in London, a double rainbow appeared. I think it's worth remembering that that rainbows, even double rainbows, are never seen in England. It's interesting to see 
too, you know, the tabloid newspapers being totally supportive of her because uh, back in 1997, uh, the tabloids attacked the Queen uh, because they thought she was uh, insufficiently sorrowful over Princess Diana's death. Uh, I've linked to uh, a CNN story from there, September the 4th, uh, 1997. Uh, eventually, uh, they made the, the Queen made a statement, or the, the palace made a statement, uh, saying that the royal family's hurt by suggestions it was indifferent to the country's sorrow over Princess Diana. Um, if you want to see a fictional, fictional what's happened to my voice, fictional portrayal there, the film The Queen from 2006, the one written by Peter Morgan and directed by Stephen Frears, Helen Mirren in the role of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, and uh, what's-his-face, the Welsh fellow, um, as as Tony Blair. <laughs> look, look it up. Look it up. Um, that shows that it's actually about the events following the death of Diana uh, when the royal family regarded Diana's death as a private matter and not to be treated as an official royal death, whereas Prime Minister Tony Blair and, of course, Diana's ex-husband, Prince Charles, now King Charles III, as you may have heard just recently, thought there should be an official expression of grief. Um, And... Uh, well, to quote the thing, matters, this is from Wikipedia again, matters are further complicated by the media, royal protocol regarding Diana's official status, and wider issues about republicanism. And I'm, I'm going to watch that film again because it is, it's a well-made film. Many reviewers said it was in their top 10 films for 2006. But, yeah, we're not, we're not seeing much mention of Diana in all of this as as Charles III takes the throne. Curious. The thing I, I really wanted to highlight, though, and it turned out this was my first acknowledgement that I knew of the death of the Queen uh, on Twitter. I mean, Twitter – I keep saying on Twitter, on Twitter. It's, it's one of the few bits of social media I use. But my first mention of the death – uh, was in association uh, with a really stupid post from Tim Smith MP, the uh, Victorian State Liberal MP for the seat of Q and possessor of one of the most punchable faces in Australian politics, who wrote the following. He posted the following from Tim Smith MP, member for Q. Addressed to His Majesty the King, Buckingham Palace, London, SW1A1AA. Not a bad postcode. Sir, he says, instead of Your Majesty. I write to offer my sincere condolences to you and your family on the death of our late sovereign, Queen Elizabeth II, of blessed and glorious memory. The loyalty your mother enjoyed from all over the Commonwealth of Australia, the United Kingdom and other parts of the Commonwealth will pass to you. Asserts, I have lived all my life in the tranquil glories of the second Elizabethan age, but I look forward for the first time reciting the prayer and the anthem, God Save the King. Mate, recite away anytime you like. I also swear by Almighty God that I and the people of Q... Wait, wait, who? 
that I and the people of Q will be faithful and bear true allegiance to you, our sovereign Charles III, by the grace of God, King of Australia, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith, and to your heirs and successors according to law. Now, Tim, you can't swear allegiance on behalf of the people of Q. They do that themselves. Also, you don't need to swear allegiance to Charles III, blah, 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 because when you swore allegiance when you became an MP uh, to Elizabeth II, that also included the phrase, and to your heirs and successors according to law. Don't have to do it again, mate. He continues, I have the honour to be, sir, your majesty's humble and obedient servant, yours sincerely, Tim Smith, 9th of September 2022. Uh, also, there's a typo. The word Commonwealth is spelt wrong, but you know, who hasn't made a typo when they're knocking off a, a quick memo to the king? I'm still laughing, even two days later or whatever it is, at the idea of Tim Smith thinking he can swear allegiance to the crown on behalf of other people. I mean, does he see himself as his Anserine Highness Prince of Q and his 40,000 fealty sworn peasants? Anserine, by the way, it, it, of or pertaining to geese. Because Tim Smith is such an enormous goose that he has many other normal-sized geese living inside him and all of them are engaged in a constant battle to determine which one has control of his mouth. His Anserine Highness. And I, I, I know that when I tweeted this out, he probably misread it as His Asinine Highness, and that's close enough too. And I also see that Tim Smith, I think still is the time, at the time we're recording this, it certainly was all of Friday, he made his profile pick on Twitter, The Royal Arms, as in the Sovereign's Arms. Now, someone needs to tell him there's only one individual who can lawfully display those arms, and his name is Charles. UK government departments may also use it, you know, but Mr Smith, while a goose, is not a UK government department. I then tweeted to him, Mr Smith, if you'd like to poke your face down the relevant wombat, Warren, look up the details for the monarchy of Australia. But either way, you still can't bear the monarch's arms, you vast, daft, brown-tongued goose. Now, yes, the Crown can warrant that someone can use the arms on something such as commemorative crockery. Uh, but while he is a goose, Tim Smith is not a teapot, probably. And I did double-check today. Uh, I was sent a document uh, by some... I'm sorry, I didn't put down your name here. Someone sent me the document Reproduction of the Royal Arms uh, from the National Archives of the UK. And it's pretty clear the Royal Coat of Arms of the United Kingdom and the Royal Coat of Arms of Scotland are the official coats of arms of Her Majesty... Well, at this time this was written, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. So Charles replaced that, obviously. The Royal Arms may only be used by... Her Majesty the Queen, in her official capacity as monarch, variants of the royal arms may be used by other members of the royal family, or government departments and agencies on letterheads in the context of departmental logos. And you can 
reproduce the arms on government publications and then if you're in a library you've photocopied a version of the report that's that's okay because you're just photocopying a legit usage everything else has to be approved by the cabinet office in the uk i i think tim smith's just committed treason or something very close to it in, in any event, it's not very often we get to use the word Anserine in a sentence. and uh, It's very special days indeed. Thank you, Tim Smith, MP. Honk! And then he blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken. Uh, further discussion on Twitter left uh, to the... Um, the idea that this could be an excellent mecha franchise, you know, the the, the, the sort of geese inside a giant goose. Uh, Elrond Zenu on Twitter suggested that would be Tim's for- Tim's Formers is the franchise name, which I quite like. And uh, I suggested that part of the final boss battle in the first instalment, that would be when a flock of drunken robot geese crash into a fence. Uh, because... Less than a year ago, dear listener, Tim Smith, the state Liberal MP for Q in Victoria, drove while drunk in uh, October 2021, crashed his Jaguar into the fence of an ordinary home, uh, and his blood alcohol reading was more than twice the legal limit, 0.131. Yeah, the, the legal limit's 0.05. Um, so, hordes of drunken robot geese, I think it's lovely, and to wrap this up, Tim Smith is the subject of really quite a hagiographical piece in The Age, the Melbourne newspaper, uh, today as I record this, um, I don't know why, uh, he insists he's not a snob. He says, quote, I think I've been maligned as a snob. I quite like people taking the piss out of me. I have never had an issue with that, which is possibly true. Uh, uh, in evidence for him not being a snob, uh, his upbringing, says the article, was the epitome of Melbourne establishment. He was raised in Camberwell. Oh, dear. He was educated at Scotch College, one of the most expensive schools in the state. Uh, he spent a year at Rugby, one of the oldest boarding schools in Britain. Back in Melbourne, he attended Ormond College at Melbourne University and was a member of the Australian rowing team. He goes on to say, I am a walking stereotype, but I think when people actually get to know me, they're surprised that I am down to earth and good company. Uh, the article does, of course, mention his drunken car crash and says of it, in that instant, his career friends and his raison d'etre was gone even if he didn't realize it at the time and indeed uh the leader of his party you've got to remember that uh, the liberal party is very much in opposition in the state of the victoria uh he says of his younger self the little boy who loved the military the monarchy and politics would be shocked and very disappointed by how things turned out I did something stupid, he says, and if I hadn't done it, this would never have happened. But I also got completely screwed over by one person I trusted implicitly. He's uh, referring to Matthew Guy, the then leader of the uh, Liberal Party in Victoria, who, who basically chucked him out of the cabinet. Because, of course, um, 
he goes on to say, I am a cultural conservative and insufferable constitutional monarchist. I don't support change for change's sake, and I do think we are undermining the institutions that has served us well, he says. Yes, Mr Smith, yes, you are indeed an insufferable constitutional monarchist. Now, he's he's not contesting the election coming up I, I assume this is this article is perhaps some sort of job application for something it will be interesting because uh, in in those parts of Melbourne um, the Liberal Party lost seats at the federal level and uh, some to teal independence and so on the Victorian state election is not far away it's in November the 26th of November in fact. It will be interesting to see what happens. Mr Smith has put his uh, viewpoints in the paper today. Uh, But, look, I I think at the very end of all this, much as, uh, however you look at it, the the death of an old woman who was respected by many is a a sad thing. I I think whatever you feel about the concept of monarchy. Um, I haven't got it in front of me, but look up Paul Keating's statement. Actually, I'll, I'll link to it on the podcast webpage as the last link. Uh, Paul Keating, the former Prime Minister of Australia and very much a Republican, uh, did write quite a quite a wonderful piece uh, about Elizabeth II, uh, and so that's his statement is worth reading. Anyway, I um, I I dedicate this episode of the nine pm edict uh, to his royal, oh not royal. But his Anserine Highness uh, Prince Timothy of Q, K E W, not Q U E U E, former line at the back. Okay, I've had enough of this podcast now. Yes, that's all the edict for now. Uh, please go to the 9pmedict.com to uh, support it in the usual and acceptable way. Uh, The next episode is coming up in just a couple of days. It's with Professor Toby Walsh. Get your questions or your trigger words and conversation topics in by Monday night. Until then, I'm Stilgarian. Wash your hands. And actually, to take us out, uh, let's listen to a final final one from uh, NASA's James Webb Space Telescope. This is their sonification of the Southern Ring Nebula. I wonder what my Southern Ring sounds like. The 9pm edict is a skank media production, sorry.